0: Um, well, after nearly 10, well, almost over 10 months, I think it was technically a little over 10 months that we had been studying through the book of Genesis, Genesis meaning beginnings. Uh, after doing that, we now find ourselves at another beginning. Uh, we're at another beginning in that we are doing something different for the next six weeks. We're going to be centered on the question, why does the church matter? Why does the church matter? That question is going to be hanging over us. And then another question is, what does it mean to partner in the good news or the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus? What does it mean to partner in this? So these two questions are going to kind of hold us together as we walk these next six weeks. Um, an important conversation for a lot of reasons. First, many people have lost hope in the church being good news. I don't know if you interact with these people at work or school or just wherever you are, that there are a lot of people out there that have kind of lost hope in the church being good news. And if we're honest... The number one reason is because too much of the church has either forgotten or never been taught that the protagonist in the story, in the story of life, the protagonist in the story is love, love. That is what it is all about. And um, second reason if you will, why we need to have this conversation is because our world is a mess. I don't know if you've picked up on that. But if it's not literal bombs, guns, and wars, then it's culture wars. And all violence, all violence, whether literal or that done with words, is treating human beings those made in the image of the divine as disposable. People sacrificed on the altar and idolatry of tribalism. Sadly, many claim faith as the reason for their disdain for certain people. There is a beautiful nonprofit, a bold nonprofit too, that works out of Puerto Rico called the happy givers, and they have all these slogans and sayings and kind of mantras and and put into stickers and t-shirts and all sorts of things, and their whole work in many ways is to kind of course correct crooked faith. So this is one of my favorites. I have a number of stickers, but this is one. If you hate anyone because of your faith, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, and so they just always this idea... That if you have a disdain for people, a hate for people, something is off. And then to claim faith for that just doesn't make sense. So, case in point, many churchgoers and pastors argue with love. They argue with love being the protagonist of the story. As soon as the conversation turns to God, we will run into an endless sharp edges of opinions and ideas about God. Trying to intellectually pin down ideas about God has all sorts of edges and curves, no doubt. The Bible gives piles of metaphors for what God is like. God is like a rock. God is like a mother hen. God is like a father. God is like the wind. God is like fire. Any others that come to mind? God is like. Oh, what's that? A bow and arrow. arrow. God is like. Any jump out that you have read, heard in scripture. God is like. Because all throughout we get these God is like statements, but then contextually, because we are about context, 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 contextually speaking, the ancient writers of the Bible are attempting to communicate what God is like within specific context. It's like if we say today, if we say an athlete, boy, they're like a dog. Are they literally a dog? No, that that oh, that oh guy on the football field, he's like a dog. It's, the, we're, it's he, the way he plays. But we don't go, well, that's a dog. I see him growing a tail. They're, they're the goat. Are they a goat? No. I, I hope we're not confused on this, but it seems... That we do this when we slip into religious world, we have a hard time distinguishing between metaphors, pictures, images, ideas, to just try and communicate what God is like. So we're going to sink in a little further, but I'd love to stop and pray, and then we will uh, get after it. Uh, That was just a preface to the introduction to the... Yep. Okay, gracious God, we bless you for the opportunity to gather here now, your body, the church. We gather here to um, be centered in on love. God, I bless you for each person. Uh, that is gathered here in the way in which you meet us, each of us and then all of us right where we are. And you are knitting us together. You are cleaning us from the inside out with love. And I bless you for that, God. May we now have ears to hear. May our hearts be open, our minds be open to what you have for us. And may the meditation and posture of my heart and the words of my mouth bring honor and glory to you, God. Amen. Amen. If we go to some of the last words that we have of what we know of the Bible, there's a writer, John, who. We understand, best we understand, wrote the gospel, but also then there are these three really little itty bitty letters toward the end 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then John is understood to have written the book of Revelation as well. But in 1st John, we have this Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God, what? Oh, interesting. Interesting, God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. John boldly says God is love, not like, is. And then we get a rather bold and clear insight into those who claim to know God, they love. They love. Jesus is the witness to God's love for the world, and to embody love is our witness to knowing God. So a God that is not centered on an unfathomable and ineffable love is likely a God we have concocted or created. For those who find loving like Jesus a bit, well, that's a bit extreme. Or maybe like you're thinking, well, that's just bonkers. I'm with you. I get it. To love that way can feel like it is a lot. But it also reminds me of a 1997, I want to take you back to the 1900s, 1997, Apple did a campaign in which they had this commercial. complicated here's to the crazy ones the rebels the troublemakers the ones who see things differently while some may see them as the crazy ones we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do 1997, they had this campaign, Think Different. Now, that was the 32nd version, commercial. There's a minute version, which the script reads like this. I think we have this as well. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them about the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. That, that Think Different campaign, to me... It reminds me of the original call to the church, the original call to the church to love through Jesus, that we would love in the way of Jesus, well that is going to look kind of radical, radical love that is. But to do this, in the commercial, we saw there's Albert Einstein, Bob Dylan, Martin Luther King Jr., Muhammad Ali, Amelia Earhart, Maria Callas, opera singer, Martha Graham, dancer and choreographer, Gandhi, and of course, Jerry Seinfeld. People driven by a vision that is labeled as well different, crazy, rebellious, or disruptive to the status quo which sounds a lot like those who followed Jesus, who loved in such a way that the empire of Rome became furious. The religious system said, we don't know what to do do with these people. So with that, I want to circle back to John, who wrote this. Whoever does not love does not, what? Know God because God is love. I would say it like this. A life that witnesses to what it means to be loved by God is a life defined by love. Now, many of you know what's coming next. The word for know in the Greek is gnosko in the New Testament, written gnosko, and it's the equivalent to the Hebrew word yedah, which we've talked about endless amount of times, and it means experiential knowing. Both of them mean experiential knowing to become acquainted with. It's a Hebrew euphemism for sex. It's how they spoke. They said this is an intimate kind of knowing. This isn't, I agree with these things intellectually, whatever, maybe, okay, we'll see. But there is an intimate experiential kind of knowing going on. Those who know God love. Simply put, divine love rattles the soul and changes the world. To experience the love of the divine launches a life into love. And that love might be described as radical. Crazy. Certainly counterintuitive and rebellious to how our world is structured. Which leads to the question, is the church known for this radical love? Is the church known for this radical love? I want to say, let's be generous and say, eh, it's a mixed bag. Let's be generous and say it's a mixed bag. But then, because right, some yes, some no, that raises the question is, why is it a mixed bag? Why would it be a mixed bag? And that question takes us to the late church historian and scholar, Phyllis Tickle. How great is that name? Phyllis Tickle, and it's a funny name, but a brilliant woman, brilliant woman, um, who wrote a book called The Great Emergence in 2008, and then a second edition came out in 2012, In this book, she describes the church as a network or web of relationships, which I think is a fantastic metaphor and picture. A network or web of relationships is the church. I'd say it like this. The church is people connected by and committed to the love of Christ. And this community commits to living this love in the world. Tickle writes about 500 year shifts that have taken place throughout history. 500 year shifts. These shifts shape culture and how societies are organized and operate. And it would shape how faith is lived out. Although it's fascinating, I'm not going to take us through all of the 500 shifts, 500 year shifts that we have had. Uh, except to highlight the last one, if you will, 500 years ago, the Reformation, what is known as the Great Reformation. That was understood as the last shift, and so Phyllis Tickle, when she was writing the book, she said, which means we're due. We're in the midst of it. We're in the midst of the next 500-year shift. And she notes that usually what is connected to these 500-year shifts or what is found in all of them is a major event of some sort, technological advancement of some sort, and a pandemic. So she points in 2008, she pointed to 9 11, and then the advancement of the Internet, smartphones, and the emergence of a thing, writing between 2008 and 2012, then and the emergence of this thing called social media. Through the internet. She said all of this was colliding. Then Tickle died at the age of 81 in 2015. And so she was pleading with the church up until her death. She was teaching and writing to recognize we're in the midst of a shift. It's happening now, which was before COVID. A pandemic that gives all of the elements of a 500-year shift. Why does this matter? Because the 1800s through today have shaped a society that are defined by consumerism and convenience. And this has had a massive influence on the church. Church has drifted from a people who are connected by radical love to be sent in love in radical ways to being a country club you join and enjoy the benefits of. Another of Harbor's pastors, Scott Pontier, the pastor at uh, Jamestown Harbor, he made the point that the church is for communion, not for consumption. I'm like, come on, Scott. So then. The church trying to compete with or keep up with culture made way for church membership. Ouch. That hurts a little. Church membership. But let's take membership, any membership, Hulu, Apple TV, gym membership. I'll go with that. I pay money and I get to utilize the gym's equipment. And I also get perks, 50% off certain gym products, drinks and t-shirts, all that kind of thing. The gym, my gym, asks me, what other products do you like? Because we provide discounts with them. I pay a membership, get to use the equipment, get some perks with it. Here's the rub. The gym could give a rip if I actually use my membership right? They simply want me to pay my monthly membership fee. Whether or not I show up, who cares? Now, if we go back 500 years to the Great Reformation, church history has Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses, which debate the indulgences of the Catholic Church, onto the door of what was known as the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, on October 31, Halloween. Woohoo. See, this is go door to door. I think he got it right. Okay. The point, though, the point what he was doing is to reform the church to its original calling and purpose. But with the good comes the bad. Competitive Christianity pride, and power made way for an endless number of denominations. Denominations in and of themselves might not be bad, but a church competition mentality has fed the consumer culture in the church. So now to distinguish between all of the options that you have, we need to develop our style and our branding When I go to a church conference and I hear about developing your brand, I puke in my mouth. (laughs) Then, because if we create our style and our brand, then people can join our club. (laughs) Pay your fees and you get the benefits provided by the holy attendants right oh by the way i'm a pastor i'm not supposed to be saying this stuff when the church drifted into membership participation in the community took a back seat to paying the membership dues When I uh, was in Muskegon, we had planted a church and I was in Muskegon. When I first got there, I actually started running around to different churches to learn the history of the churches, to know what the church in Muskegon was about just as a whole, different things. And so I went to churches and I had heard one talked about a lot. It it was famous in, in ways it really was. It's known throughout the country in a way because it's known as Our Lady of the Concrete. That's what they call it, because the building is made out of concrete. Now, I'm not picking on any one church. I want to show you what has happened when we run this membership thing. This building it's kind of this is me I think it's the love child of the Witch's Castle and The Wizard of Oz and the Death Star in Star Wars. You're welcome, Sean. This is the inside in the sanctuary. You come in, and I seriously i am like, where are the imperial (laughs) stormtroopers? I'm looking around, because that's the way it feels. I'm like, what in the world? Now, let's turn the lights on, next one, and you get it. But this thing, it it just is foreboding, like this thing, and it's all concrete. So I go around, and I'm getting a tour of this, and I'm asking the lady who's taking me through, oh, you tell me about the history of the church and what is going on, and I said, Now, my my question is, I said, how many are in the, it's a big old bill, and I said, how many are a part of the church? And she said, oh, we have 1,200 plus members. I was like, whoa. And then I go, well, okay, and I said, how many services, or what's, because I was looking and I'm like, 1,200, and I said, how does that work? And she could tell, and she goes, oh, well, we get about maybe 300 that attend on the weekend. But I send out over 1,200 membership dues a month. I, I send out the bills. That's what she said. I send out over 1,200 membership fee a month. And I said, oh, what? What's happening? As long as we get the payment, whatever, ugh. Some of the residue of the 500-year shift was slicing the church into a choose-your-own-adventure kind of faith, which leads to churches behaving like businesses or country clubs trying to win the largest market share which means you could have all of these frighteningly similar churches, but each with a slight tweak scattered all throughout our cities and towns, which might then get to a picture that I took about a month ago when I was driving that looks like this. Came to this, I had to pull in church building here. I circled it because behind the trees, church building there two different churches here's the thing the name of the churches is the exact same except for one word the denomination that they're members of otherwise it's the same name the only thing separating them is this little strip of grass what i just it broke my heart because i'm like i'm lost what 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 Back to Tickle, she highlights that each shift invites the church to do a rummage sale, is her language. That is, the goal is to hold on to the tenets of the faith, the essentials, while disposing of the excess that maybe we collected along the way. The challenge, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you will, let's keep what matters, but let's maybe get rid of these things we've collected along the way. As it pertains to holding to the essentials, I think John pretty much nails it well with his word love. We have to be a people centered here. And that is actually where we have quite the modern day tension, because love calls us and it costs us. Love calls us and love costs us. Love is rooted in commitment and our society is allergic to commitment. Remember, membership requires payment and provides perks, but it could give a rip about commitment. And if we look into the scriptures, the church was never called to membership, but something else. One of the first Christians, a guy named Paul, writes to a people in the who are the church in a city called Philippi, and he writes this, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your... Partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Partnership in the gospel or the good news of Jesus. Partnership is different than membership. This partnership is rooted in the love of Christ which holds us together as a community and sends us into the world as a community. This work began in the beginning. This word where Paul writes this, he is referencing. It's a call back. They would know he's calling back to the beginning, to Genesis, the good work that began in creation God will complete that in and through you as you live in community, in partnership with the good news. Keep going. God will do the work through us. There, remember your Genesis, your beginning, where it all began. Now this same fellow, Paul, writes to a different church community in a different city, but see if in his writing this looks and sounds familiar. A letter called Philemon, because that's a person he's writing to and the community in which Philemon is a part. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Sound familiar? Because I hear about your what? What does he hear about? Love. Love. I heard that you paid your membership dues. Nope. Your love for all his people and your trust in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your what? Yeah. Partnership with us in the faith may be effective in in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Such an incredible couple sentences here. Please don't miss this. This is about being rooted in love and committed to living this love out in the world. And what does this partnership accomplish? It deepens our understanding for why we share every good thing for the sake of Christ. When people ask, well, the church only wants my money, or it uses me or whatever, when you get into that, we should be able to have a very clear conversation. Why do we share things? Why do we share things? Well, we can look at it. We can understand our partnership in this and we'll understand why we share what we share and how we share it. We have figured that out as a community. We can do that. We have no problem being transparent and talking about our sharing together and the good that it is doing for the sake of Christ. Now we're getting somewhere. Thank you, Paul. This is fantastic. So the whole church guilt trip, so you give money and serve at church programs so that people can consume religious goods and services, is the crap we have collected along the way. And Phyllis Tickle said, rummage sale. Time to take it out to the side of the road. Oh, oh, Phyllis, she's a feisty one. Oh, she was a riot. This little lady, you want to fire when she starts when she was alive and preaching, all the way up to her death. Fire from this little woman. Tickle says it's time. We're in another shift. It's time for a rummage sale. Now, Paul writes to another church in another city, and this city that he writes to is the original definition of a motley crew or a mishmash of humanity. They were wildly diverse, and they were ridiculously messy. And Paul writes to them to help teach them about these good things, the good things he says that we're to share together. We often refer to these good things as spiritual gifts or gifts of God. They are what God has placed within each and every one of us. Paul says partnership is sharing our gifts in community. So to the first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul writes in chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts, same Spirit distributes them. Watch what Paul does here. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Paul just works in the Trinity as if, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Spirit, Lord, Christ, Jesus shows that service, what that's like. God, all of this bigness at work here. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for why? Why? Common good. That's why we share common good. From here, Paul is going to list out a bunch of the gifts, but the purpose remains the same in the different gifts he lists, the common good. Then Paul grabs a metaphor to describe what it looks like to have different gifts but one engine, one purpose. Verses 12 to 14. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Bless you. For we were all baptized in one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. A body, many parts, but still one purpose. Nice work, Paul. I like it. Then Paul says the parts don't bicker amongst themselves, which is kind of a hilarious image when he writes this. Next slide. Now, if the foot should say, the foot should, okay, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I, don't, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. A body with one part, that's, that's where I get this. Thanks. Like, Paul gives us this, like, could you imagine like first century Paul's writing this and they're like going, oh, I'm a walking ear. Like, he's funny. He was a, he was a quirky dude, that Paul. Now then, he gives us picture of saying, but no, it's not like that. We need all the different parts, but it makes up one purpose, one body. Great. Okay, then Paul, bring it home. Tie this whole thing together for us. Verses 27 to 31. Now you, and that you is y'all okay y'all in Corinth y'all in Corinth are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it and God has placed in the church first of all apostles second prophets this isn't a ranking system third teachers then miracles then gifts of healing of helping of guidance in different kinds of languages Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other languages? Do all interpret? But you are eagerly desiring the greater gifts. And as one last reminder that it is not about the parts themselves, but about what holds them together and makes them function, he keeps going. We break things up into chapters, but Paul just keeps going, 13.1. And yet, I will show you the most excellent what? Thoughts, ideas, statements, doctrines. I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in human or angelic languages, but do not have love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Whatever gifts God has given you, if you do not do, like, operate in them, through them, with love, it's it's noise. It's noise. The Christian faith, church, was never meant to be a consumer product. It was never meant to be a static belief system. It was never meant to be individualistic. Nearly all of the yous we read in the scripture are meant to be y'alls. Y'alls. A community moving together in love and for love. This isn't new, but the church has not always done a good job listening C.S. Lewis, somebody remember this name? C.S. Lewis wrote extensively about this decades ago. He said this in Mere Christianity. In the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are a waste of time. (laughs) God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. It says in the Bible that the whole universe was made for Christ and that everything is to be gathered together in Him, the letters to the church in Colossae. Bishop Desmond Tutu was calling a messy war-torn people to follow the person of Jesus into this unity. Tutu said this, we can look at the life of Jesus to see what God asks of us. Jesus came into a deeply divided and polarized society. Sound familiar? There was the divide between the hated foreign oppressor and the citizens of the vassal state. Within Judaism, there were different religious groupings the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots. There was the divide between the Jew, the Gentile, and the Samaritan. And then men were segregated from women. There were free persons and there were slaves. There were the rich, there were the poor. The world saw a veritable miracle unfolding before its very eyes as all sorts sorts and conditions of women and men, rich and poor, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, All these came to belong in one fellowship, one communion. They did not regard one another just as equals. That in itself would have been a huge miracle. No, they regarded one another not as equals, but as sisters and brothers. You want to talk about members of a family. Family. God's family. Family. A wildly diverse family. A family that partners together for the sake of Christ and the purpose of love. This week, this week marked six years, I have had the privilege of being your pastor. Being pastor is simply my gifts offered in partnership. When I came here, my wife and I were fried and fed up with the consumer country club membership system that called itself the church. Love rescued us. How y'all loved Walker, chose to love Walker for the sake of Christ has been good news. I pray we continue to choose this kind of partnership. The divine, next slide, the divine doesn't choose us and call us because of what might be true about us. He calls us because of what has always been and is forever true within us. We are called to share Our gifts. You are a gift, unique, created by God, and we need a diversity of gifts to partner together, to love well for the sake of Christ. May we continue to work out and walk out the love of christ that is in us for the common good of all that's our invitation that's our calling that is what we have been about and that's what we will continue to be about we'll call people to partner with us partnership as we live this out in community for the wider community that christ would get the glory that we would see lives healed transformed families healed transformed community healed and transformed and we will bless god and we will show everyone that the church throws the best parties because we have the most to celebrate would you pray with me? Gracious God, I bless you, God, for loving us so overwhelmingly well. You love each and every one of us, not for what we do, because you created us. You love us. And you have gifted each one of us in fascinating and brilliant ways. And I bless you, God, for the joy of seeing all of the different gifts. I bless you, God, for what you have already done in and through this community and god i pray that you will continue to sharpen us and call us into partnership to love walker well and beyond you are good god you love us well and your love reminds us to have open arms and be a welcoming community to all because love is the protagonist in your story. May we cling to that, hold to that, live that out well. Amen.